Hello and welcome to The Food Podcast, a show where personal stories are shared through the lens of food and on this day through the lens of an Irish home in Halifax with bed and breakfast owner Liz Shute. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. I'll be clear from the get-go. I asked Liz Shute, a longtime friend of my parents and owner of the always-booked B&B, The Pebble in Halifax, if I could come over so she could teach me how to make a bed. Liz is Irish, she has incredible taste, and her home is just a few houses up from the Northwest Arm on a peaceful corner of a peaceful neighborhood. When I was younger, playing next door at my friend Amy's house, Liz's house was owned by the Bennetts, who built the house and moved in in 1950 and raised their six daughters and one son there. And of course, as it goes in most smallish cities, I babysat for one of those daughters who married and moved not too far away and had three daughters and one son of her own. But I had never been inside Grandmother Bennett's house with the gorgeous curved front door and the sloping lawn and the many rooms to house all those children and the gorgeous views across the arm and the very puffy beds I've seen Liz post on Instagram. I wanted the secret. So I asked Liz if I could come over. I am no Nigella Lawson. I don't want to be a domestic goddess. That would be a stretch. But I do crave order. It soothes me. And who else to learn from than a woman who grew up working in a cafe and a pub and running a B&B in County Kerry, Ireland, where I just know things were done properly. And I've seen her rose of lavender running down her lawn in the summertime, and the doors to the terrace open like a little Provencal oasis on the shores of urban Nova Scotia. I bet Liz puts sprigs of lavender on the pillows in there. Liz said, of course, Linz, come on over. And I ended up learning more than how to make a bed. I find Liz in her kitchen, oiling her cutting boards. You have to oil them like you would oil leather, she tells me, or they will crack. I think of my wooden bowl given to us as a wedding gift, stacked on the shelf in my kitchen, with a crack growing through its center. I thought that that's what happened, eventually, to wedding gifts. They grow old and they crack. I should have been oiling it all along, taking care of it and loving it. Liz is standing on wide cream flagstones and her hair is pulled up softly on her head. She could move a mountain. Her body is fit and petite. I think she has run 15 marathons. She's full of energy, but the space is calm. It's a beautiful dichotomy. Behind her are cream-colored walls, open shelves, a big farmhouse sink, a long wooden table that says sit down, have a cup of tea, and a big aga, the color of butter, tucked in a black tiled well. An aga is a heavy cast iron oven 
without dials or knobs, and it's topped with silver-domed covers that lift to expose flat burners for kettles and pots or any stovetop utensil. This gleaming beast can heat the house, it can make dinner, it can tell a story. There are so many stories in this room and in this house. You know, the thing when you're an immigrant is, yes, you're in a different country and yes, you function and all of that, but you need some memories um, to remember where you came from. But this aga, when I look at this aga, Lindsay, I see a whole bunch of things that nobody else sees. Do you understand? I remember me coming downstairs as a small child, because there was no heating in the houses in Ireland, right? So you were afraid to take your clothes off going into bed. And then in the morning, you were afraid to get out of the bed. But anyway, eventually you'd make it to the kitchen. And as a small girl, I would come in and the dog, Michael, would be sitting in front of the aga. I would open up the door of the bottom oven and I would put my feet in. <laughs> and I would warm my feet before I would make my aga toast because the aga makes the best toast in the world. I see my sister put, putting her head over the top oven because you could use it as a hairdryer. And um, I see my brother, Thomas, sitting on it, singing songs. I see big, huge catering pots of all kinds of vegetables and food for the, for, for the cafe. So there's, I mean, it's a big, big thing when we're working. There's all kinds of trays of chicken and trays of sausages and, and all of that going on. But in the quieter times, my family, and then when we would be closed, my mum's chair would sit this way and she'd have a mug of tea and cigarettes and uh, the cafe would be closed, all the, the work would be done and uh, we would, if my siblings were home from England, um, we would sing songs. And so I see all of this. So this is very, very special to me, yeah. I'm looking at my kitchen in the city where I grew up. I live downtown near the universities and hospitals and shops and the unhoused and the housed and the buses lumbering by in a home built in the 1850s. A long walk from the neighborhood where I grew up with the 1930 houses and the baseball field at the end of the street. But I am living in the city where I grew up. Memories are everywhere, in the shops, in the faces, and the schools I pass in my car, and in the park, and in the ocean, and in the salty air. I am intentional with the objects I put in my home. You all know by now how much I love story and beauty in all things. But I think when you live in a place with most of your family still thriving and living close by, the objects that surround you aren't as imbued with the same amount of nostalgia than if, say, you lived far away from your memories. Or maybe I just haven't reflected on these things. Liz grew up, the youngest of six, in the busy market town of Listowel, County Kerry, Ireland, above a cafe. Her mom owned and ran the cafe, and ran the pub at the other end of the road, and ran a and b over the cafe. Her father lived and worked in New York City and came home on holidays 
but for the most part, it was her mother working and raising six kids on her own. This is why food for the cafe and catering pots were piled on top of the family aga, simmering away throughout Liz's childhood. Oh, I have so many memories of the most, my dearest memories are are of being in that kitchen really late at night when all the work was done, the money was made, and, um, you know, it was, it was our time. And I have the most beautiful, beautiful memories of my sister coming home from England. She sang like a nightingale, of my brother singing. And I, rem- I, lo- I mean, I adored my family. Uh, we were a very passionate family, very passionate. And, um, and that could go either way, but that's okay. Um, but I remember, um, you know, my brother, my God, he looked like Robert De Niro and then women loved him. And um, in any event, um, so I would sing, I would learn songs from them because they knew songs and I would learn songs from them. But this one time I learned a song on my own called Soldiers and Dreams. And I remember I sang it in front of him and he looked at me with a glint in his eye and he goes, that's a nice song, Liz. You know, it's just a moment where I caught him, you know, because I was always learning his songs. He had a beautiful voice. And um, so, yeah, some really, really, my, my most precious memories happened around this aga in 57 York Street. I'm thinking about our old house on York Street when the boys were small, with the glass door out to the backyard that provided perfect reflection on the dark days of winter to watch yourself dancing. Little Charlie and Rex performed to their reflection most nights usually to ACDC's TNT. They were spinning and chopping the air and sliding across the floor, watching themselves explode. Anyway, everything is scrubbed so beautifully in Liz's kitchen, in a come-and-sit-down, inviting kind of way, not in a way that makes you feel like an inadequate homemaker. That's the magic of this place. It's soothing and aspirational. And it's in Liz's blood. The cleanliness, the hospitality, and the music. So I grew up in that cafe, and we also did B&B over the cafe. And then we had a pub at the other end of the town, all on Church Street, by the way. So the pub was at the bottom of Church Street, and the cafe and the B&B were 57 Church Street. At that time, this is going back now, the cafe would be busy in the daytime in the summer. But in the wintertime, you made your money late at night. And it was the only place that was open late at night. So, you know, if there was an opportunity to make some money, my mother was going to take it because she was rearing six children on her own. And um, so, oh, there was uh, 63 pubs in the town, yeah. Now, some of those pubs had grocery stores in the front, but the best of the best could not do what they call a pub crawl in that town. You just, it was impossible. And so there was all those people, maybe three and a half thousand people, four thousand people, but then there was all of the people from the surrounding areas that would come. (laughs) So the pubs were packed Friday, Saturday and Sunday night, like packed. And um, then they would have these dances and show bands would come. 
Um, and Ireland had great show bands. And, you know, they, the, the Irish people, they have a kind of a joie, joie de vivre. So they were going dancing after the pub, right? And then, um, of course, after the dance, everybody was hungry. So they would come down to my mother's. And the place was heaving with people, heaving. You know, you might finish serving around, around three in the morning, and then you would have to start the cleanup. And uh, she had these terrazzo floors, and all of those floors had to be scrubbed. And they also had to scrub the sidewalk outside as well especially on a Saturday night, so everything would be clean for anyone walking to Mass on Sunday morning. I can feel myself getting tired as we chat in the kitchen, thinking about Liz's mother working all the time. I'm thinking about my three boys, so much bigger now, with their needs and their schedules and the dog and the laundry and the house that is, as I mentioned in the first episode of the season, constantly in a state of entropy. It's clean, and then it's dirty, and clean, and then dirty. Or better yet, I'd say it's suspended most of the time in a liminal state, frozen in the midst of chaos, ready to go in any direction. And I'm thinking about how I can't stay up past 10 these days, and how I took a hot water bottle under my duvet, warming the sheets by 9.30. I ask Liz if her mom ever got tired. Oh, yes, yes. Oh she, oh, she slept. We were open 364 days of the year, Lindsay. We closed Christmas Day. And I never, ever heard my mum complain about working. In fact, what I heard her say was she was grateful to have the work because she grew up in a time where there was very little money. And, um, you know, she had nothing at one point. Uh, my parents had nothing. Uh, they had four children, and um, she was refused an ounce of sugar. I remember she told me she was refused an ounce of sugar because she was short a half a penny. And so, you know, when those types of things happen, you it sets you up to be uh, to be to be very ambitious. And um, there was a time in Ireland where. Women, even though they may have been the backbone of the household, they really weren't treated equitably. Um, they couldn't get a loan. They couldn't have a bank account. If uh, you worked for the bank or you were a teacher and you got pregnant, you had to leave your job. My mother was so not like that. She was like, I can go home tomorrow and I will walk down William Street and I will meet, if I were to meet 10 people, Five of those people will say to me before I leave, Jesus, your mother was a powerful woman. And she passed away in 1994 and they still talk about her. Her name was Betty Chute. And even this week, actually, I had a, a little text from a, from a girl and she said, um, how did your mother do it? How did she run those businesses and rear six children? But she, she reared six hardworking children too. And everything I know I learned from my mother, everything I know. But did Betty sleep? But no, she did sleep. And in fact, she used to go for a nap in the afternoon 
And uh, she used to say to me, Liv, do you want to come to the nicest place in the whole wide world? And I'd say, oh yeah, where is it? And she would say, Blanket Street. But she used to say that she did all her best thinking when she was having, you know, that little respite in the afternoon. I love the sound of Blanket Street. It really is the nicest place in the world. It makes me think of my parents' home, a place where afternoon respite is encouraged, where there are always blankets folding on the arm of any sofa, just in case you want to curl up and take a nap, and how I now have blankets folded on the arms of my sofas. And now I'm thinking about the house coat I wish I had for my mom when she comes to visit, one just for her because she is cold when she wakes up in the morning and she would like that. Liz and I want to please our mothers. We want them to know we are thinking of them. As a child, I grew up working in that cafe. And um, as I said, we were only closed Christmas Day and I grew up working there. So I have always been serving the public. I just had this inherent know-how. I remember... I remember my mother didn't have any closed cupboards because she said if they were closed, people would be just shoving things in and uh, they'd be dirt collectors. And so everything was open. And, but I remember being a little girl with a toothbrush and I, I, I scrubbed the bottom of the leg of, the, of, of whatever, the cupboards, and... I'd wait for my mum to come up from the bar and I'd show her what I had done. And she used to say to me, Liz, you put the print of your hand on it, Lanov. You put the print of your hand on it. Like it was just, I loved it. I loved it. Liz's mother is there in the scrubbing and the open shelves and the handprints. Since 1992, Dr. Gary Chapman has taught us how to express and receive love through his book, The Five Love Languages. The languages are words of affirmation, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch, and acts of service. Acts of service, I think that's Liz's love language. But at the same time, acts of service were in her all along. It's not an act, it's her way of life. It's what her mother taught her. I remember she used to say, Liz, you treat everybody the same. And at one point in Ireland, especially in you know small towns, there was... There was some class distinction. And um, sometimes it was overt, but mostly it was covert. But it was certainly there. And you felt it even when you didn't, even when you couldn't articulate what it was. As a small girl, I remember thinking, why, why is this happening? Why am I saying hello to these people and nobody else knows them? But it was the way I was reared. So I'll tell you a little story that epitomizes my mum. So she passed away January 12th, 1994, and she had a massive funeral. It was massive. And there was a particular doctor in Lestole. I won't mention his name, but he was very grand. And he 
didn't deign to say hello to most people. Uh, he was almost like you, he wanted you to doff your hat or whatever to him. But that was the, that was the kind of guy he was and whatever, right? And my mum was his patient, actually, because he took private patients and she, she was able to pay him. But he was a, he really thought, I, mean, I don't know what other way to say it, other than that he was pretty special. But when my mum passed away, um, we were sitting down and, you know, everybody was going by and, uh, and giving us their condolences. And I, I remember at one point I looked over towards the, where my mum was resting and I saw this particular doctor and he was there. But Lindsay, right next to him, there was three or four of the guys, the garbage collectors. And they were right next to this particular doctor that in normal life, they would never have been in that proximity. And that spoke to me. I said, there you go, ma'am. There you go. Liz says she moved to Canada for a boy. David O'Carroll also grew up in Listowel, above an upholstery shop, and later became an engineer and moved to Canada for work. Eventually, they ended up in Halifax and looked at the Bennett's house on the corner down by the Northwest Arm. The minute we walked in, we felt something special. And, and then, of course, my mind was ticking over. And I thought to myself, you know, we only have one child I could run a business out of this place and I could turn the things that I like to do into a business. And so I did. And, um, and I created a very rewarding business and I created a very wonderful life because in September I've been operating the Pebble for 25 years. For almost 25 years, Liz has been making breakfast in this kitchen for her guests and serving it in the dining room at the front of the house with pleasure. The night before, I will have the table set up. And, you know, I do think that um, it's nice to make things beautiful. And if you come in with me, I'll show you. Um, like, I'll change it up too. So one morning, I'll use the burley. Right? Blue and white, and I've got all different patterns, and I mix and match. And uh, because even though I like people to have um, and to, to provide beautiful things, the last thing I want is it to be precious and contrived. You know, I don't want that. I want it to be a little, um, oh, irreverent. And, um, and yeah relaxed. So, so one morning I'll use the burley, another morning I'll use Simon Pierce. You know, I'll mix it up. Liz tells me Simon Pierce is an Irish man who has a glass blowing business in Vermont. Her collection is in the cabinet across from the china cupboard, lined up perfectly and sparkling. They are heavy bottom glasses, just the right size for juice. I put a lot of thought into everything. And so you know, I make uh, fresh juice and uh, this is a lovely weighty glass. And um, yeah, actually, Lindsay, 
The first time I qualified or I wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon had nothing to do with the Boston Marathon, but I was looking for a really good reason to ask David to drive me to Vermont. And I thought, there is no way in hell I can say to David, listen, you need to get in the car and drive me to Vermont because I want to buy glass and pottery at Simon Pierce. Like, I thought, it's not going to happen. He's not going to happen. And I thought, I know what I could do. If I qualified for Boston, we'll, I'll suggest we drive and then we'll take a little detour. And it worked. I understand. I, too, need a carrot dangling in front of me to get me to any kind of finish line. Mine is usually coffee at the end of a morning workout. Liz is next level. She ran a marathon that's 42 kilometers in and around four hours for her age group to buy beautiful glasses. I admire that. But it wasn't always healthy living for Liz. Before she moved to Canada, she was working in her family's pub. It was called Shoots Bar, and I remember seeing a photo of Liz in dark denim, a blouse and eyeshadow leaning over a packed horseshoe-shaped bar, taking a drag on a cigarette with another cigarette burning at the other end of the bar. She had two on the go. Liz corrects me. She actually had three on the go. So there was no time to stop and light a cigarette. Because if you did, well, I mean, there was people shouting for drink from all directions, right? So Joe, Joe Halpin, he always sat at one ex- end of the horseshoe, and Joe Halpin, I'd say to him, would you like me a cigarette, Joe? And he'd always light it and he'd put it so that the tip was facing in, you know. And then um, over at the other side where the snooker table was, Mikey Shine, I'd say to Mikey Shine, will you light me a cigarette? And then it could be anyone at all in the middle. Because there was no time to stop and you just have a quick puff or a quick drag and you put it down again. Right. So like you really weren't getting the full cigarette. Right. But um, anyway, yeah, that was it. So there we are, Liz and I standing in her beautiful dining room off season. There are stories everywhere and we haven't even been upstairs yet where Liz has molten brown soap and shampoo in every bathroom. Molten brown is another one of the things she loves from her time working in London before she moved to Canada. And speaking of loves, I steer the conversation back to breakfast. I want to know the ins and outs of it all. Liz says the secret is to setting everything up the night before. So I set it up um, because I'm very well organized. You have to be organized to be relaxed because I don't want to be stressed. I, I don't deal very well with stress. And um, so I need to be very well organized. So it's all set up the night before. I'll have the first dish made the night before because I'll give them something cold. Um, it could be beer muesli. I make terrific beer muesli. And I will have the hot course organized also. I am seeing that being organized so acts of service flow smoothly are gifts to another, but they're also gifts to yourself. I want Liz to move in before Christmas next year and help me get organized because we all know I am on a lifelong journey to de-stress, especially at Christmas. I'll put a link to my field guide to Christmas in the show notes, the one where my mom cries on Christmas morning. Anyway, back to breakfast. So it just kind of goes like clockwork in the morning. So what happens is I'm here 
early, I'll make the coffee or whatever for whoever comes down. And then eventually people will come for breakfast and I'll serve breakfast. Um, then I spend some time with people at the breakfast table. Um, we've had lots and lots of fun at that breakfast table. We've had songs sung at the breakfast table. I mean, it's just been instruments played. Liz serves a savory breakfast, something different every day for those staying for a long stretch. Here's one of the many reviews of The Pebble on TripAdvisor. Beautifully decorated and elegantly furnished, immaculate, clean, healthy and delicious breakfast. Organic oatmeal to poached eggs, hollandaise sauce, smoked salmon, bacon, asparagus, and of course, homemade scones. All in all, Liz has attention to every detail. I ask about a full Irish breakfast, eggs, grilled tomatoes, mushrooms, toast, and Irish sausages. I had my first at Ballymaloo House in Ireland. We arrived in spring when the house was dripping in purple wisteria and wild garlic was dotted through the grass. We were late for breakfast, but the woman who greeted us sat us down for muesli topped with stewed prunes. And I'll never forget how good that was, especially when she came back and asked us if we were ready for a full Irish. Well, I tell you, if I could get a full Irish, I would be doing a full Irish. Because when I go home to Ireland, I don't just have one full Irish. I have two of them when I get off the plane. But you cannot get... It's the sausage. You cannot get the goddamn sausage here. I, I have tried. I've given up. Yeah. It's just not happening. So I do not serve a full Irish breakfast yes. because, you know, it's sacrilegious to give sausages with sage and this and that and whatever else, right? Like, it's not what we're used to. But in the winter, Liz makes Irish steel-cut oats, simmered on the aga for 50 minutes, sweetened with banana and topped with apple and prunes and caramelized under the grill and served with cream. Or in the summer months, she makes a cold bircher muesli served with fruit, followed by a hot breakfast, and she serves her own blend of coffee. When guests are there for several nights, it'll be something different every day. And Barry's Irish tea. Oh, you have to have a good cup of tea? There was a time when Liz considered going back to Ireland to run the pub after her mother died, but then she reconsidered. Hospitality comes so naturally to Liz in all forms. It's baked in. Hospitality, in my opinion, is, is the business of making people feel welcomed, feel seen, and uh, that they're going to be cared for. And all of the rest of it is trimmings. But if you don't have that connection, then it's really only like a commodity. You, you know, and that kind of comes innately to me, thank goodness. I really don't have to work at it, Lindsay, because I just, that's what I get my kick from. I get a kick out of it. And, you know, I love to see them kind of go a little bit, you know, kind of not wild, but, you know, I mean, they'll show me themselves. And um, yeah, it's um, and they will leave. A lot of people leave here with memories that they will never forget. 
Um, and that's, that's uh, what gives me joy. A B&B offers more opportunities, I'm thinking, to make people feel welcome and seen at every hour of the day than running a bar. Even if it was the most crowded, popular bar in town. Down in the basement is a laundry room with shelves against one wall. On one shelf are the cleaning products lined up perfectly, and there are molten brown refills in rows, and above that are the sheets folded perfectly, all the same. There are pillowcases and flat sheets, and that's it, because that's all Liz has, flat sheets and pillowcases. And it all makes sense when you make a bed with Liz. We're now in one of the big, bright bedrooms with a gleaming ensuite and a big, fluffy white bed, the kind that says, take a running leap and land spread-eagled and sink slowly down, down. It's the puffiest bed made up with only flat sheets. So I use a method called triple sheeting because... And I do not have a fitted sheet in the house. There are no fitted sheets and there are none coming. (laughs) And I use triple sheeting because obviously it's going to be far too onerous to be washing duvet covers and pressing them because we press everything down in the laundry room. So I can create a duvet and I'm going to show you. So, all right, Linz, so what you do here, look, is, so first and foremost, the, the operative word for the bed is puffy. You have to have it puffy and cloud-like, right? So under this bottom sheet is what we call a feather bed. And it's like a topper. Then the duvet goes on. And I mean, you know, it's all in the shoulder, right? You, you, you puff this thing out, right? And you might have to puff it a couple of times, right, to get that cloud. So this is how we create the duvet, right? Um, So the sheet, the flat sheet, like I said, I only have flat sheets, right? So watch this. So grab it there, right? Now this is what we're going to do. We're going to kind of open it up or lay it out for a while. Yeah. And, okay, bring this back a little bit. Now make sure that your stripes are straight. You move around the bed, right? And, and whatever you do, do not press down. No pressing, right? And on she goes, folding carefully, lining sheets up, creating a perfectly folded envelope to hold the duvet. So the duvet itself is concealed and protected from the hands of humans, staying clean and sanitary inside, while all the while, she is not deflating the duvet itself. And there I go, seeing the bed through the lens of what I know, food. It's a soft, undercooked pavlova, but it's whiter, crisper, like a cloud, like a souffle. Yes, that's it, a perfectly risen, creamy souffle. That's it! (laughs) Yeah, Jesus, very good, Lindsay, very good. There are little details on the bedside tables, books by local authors, a blanket over a chair, and in the summer, I imagine bouquets of hydrangea and sprigs of lavender. Liz has a word her mother taught her for these little touches, 
when you add them, you are titivating the room. Titivating. Yes. So this is what would happen. So, um, you know, if my sister was coming home from England, oh my goodness, the cleaning that would be done beforehand, like the tops of the doors. And this was another time, you know, but um, she always used to say, well, first and foremost, she used to say, you cannot clean if you're not organized, you know, and that's true. If you've got stuff everywhere, you can't clean. So she used to say that you can't clean unless you're organized. And then she used to always say, and I like to have the last week just to titivate. So that means like the little details, you know, um, I don't know, putting this little thing here and thinking, well, you know what, maybe if I put it over here, it might look better. Just just moving things around, making things look like this little shawl, putting this thing here, like little things that just give me pleasure. And if they give me pleasure, well, hopefully they'll give you pleasure. Mm-hmm. Titivate. Yeah. On cold winter nights like these here in Nova Scotia, Liz will have candles lit in the living room for the guests when they come home with drinks set up so people can help themselves. It's their space, she says. But like more important than, than all of the, the things I provide, like the molten brown toiletries or the Dr. Frangier room sprays or whatever it is, they are all lovely ingredients, but on their own, they're just treats. But it's the connection, it's the way you make people feel. That's what they'll remember, is how you make them feel. And everybody is different, you know? Um, Everybody is unique and you treat everybody differently. They're not all the same. And uh, um, yeah, that's, that's what, and you, you provide experiences that they're not expecting. And, and it's not that I, I, I set out to, to provide, to, to give people some experiences that I know they'll never forget. I mean, I have them in my head. They're, they'll never be forgotten. It's that I take what I do seriously, but I don't take myself too seriously. So, you know, yes, we do it and we have our standards and they have to be adhered to. But after that, it's like, okay, now we're we're authentic people. And um, I think it's just good to try and have that a a little bit of crack, as they say in Ireland. You know, you can have fun even though you're working. So that's it. Before I left, we went back into the kitchen. Liz's daughter's dog, Archie, is with us. He helped us make the bed, and he toured the dining room. And now he's lying down in his kitchen bed by the aga, waiting for a song. Shane McGowan, the lead singer of the Pogues, had died a month before I visited Liz. We talked about his music and his lyrics and Liz's favorite song, A Rainy Night in Soho. Um, you know, as Shane McGowan passed away. And um, Shane McGowan meant a lot to Irish people because he sang about real things. He sang about immigration, being Irish in, in England, working on the building sites, navvies they're called. Um, they went to, to London and they'd send money home. 
um, because they needed to. They needed to send it back to feed, you know, their siblings. But he wrote about um, love in its purest, sweetest way. And he wrote about pain in its rawest form that people feel, but they don't know how to express it. And some people feel it. I've felt it. He, he, he wrote about the underdogs in life. You know, he, he had respect for all. So I thought today, um, before you leave, I'll accompany Shane McGowan. I'm not singing Shane McGowan's song, but I'll accompany him. And uh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? So we stood there in the kitchen next to the Aga and the stories of her brothers and sisters and the dog on the floor and the fridge with perfectly straight lines of cold sparkling water inside and the open shelves and the berries tea and the painting of the wall that looks like Liz, her husband and her daughter going for a dip near Listole. And I'm thinking about my family and my home and the stories that I've subliminally placed in each and every room. And Liz sang, and I swayed, and I cried a little. I took shelter from a shower And I stepped into your arms Rainy night in Soho The wind was whistling all its charms Sang you all my sorrows You told me all your joys Ever happened to the old song To all those little girls and boys La 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 da da dum da da dum La 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 da da dum Woo! Isn't it beautiful? There's a light I hold before me Beautiful line. You're the measure of my dreams. The measure of my dreams. La da da dum, da da dum. La 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 da da dum. La la la. most beautiful lyricist. He's genius. There you go, Linz. There you go. Spontaneity. You know, it's good to work hard, but you, you can't take yourself too seriously, right? Yeah. That's it. Jesus, Lindsay, how are you going to put this all together? 
Thank you, Liz, for welcoming us in to your Irish home and sharing your stories and showing us how to make a bed with three flat sheets. I still don't really know how. Liz will be running the Boston Marathon in April, a few days after she celebrates her 65th birthday in Listowel, in a pub. If you're nearby, go and cheer her on. You can find Liz on Instagram at the Pebble Bed and Breakfast, or take a peek at the rooms at www.thepebble.ca. And I'm thinking about sharing the origin story for the naming of the Pebble in my next newsletter. You can sign up through the link in the show notes or over at lindsaycameronwilson.substack.com. This series is edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme song, One More Night, is by Jen Grant. If you'd like to support the show, please rate and review the food podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Wilson.